Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. How do you move from doubt to faith? Let me share with you three practical principles for moving from doubt to faith. Number one, don't deny your doubts. Acknowledge them. Secondly, don't dread your doubts. Analyze your doubts. Thirdly, don't disguise your doubts. Articulate them. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Very few Christians are willing to admit it, but we all struggle with doubt. Now, gratefully, doubt's not only universal, it's perfectly natural. And God sincerely welcomes our sincere questions. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows us how to conquer the mountain of doubt by moving from doubt to faith. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Most of us could tell personal stories about the times our hopes and dreams for the future were thwarted because of some unexpected obstacle that fell into our path. Right out of nowhere, at a critical moment, we found ourselves facing a mountain. Well, in my teaching series called Invincible, I'm showing you God's plan for conquering the mountains in your life. You see, God never asked you or me to move mountains. Instead, He shows us how to get past them. And if you're overcome by debilitating emotions like doubt, guilt, and worry, then you've come to the right place. Now, in addition to this new teaching series, I've written a book to help you as well. I'd be pleased to send you a hardbound copy right away when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. In my book, Invincible, I show you how to navigate around scary emotional roadblocks like grief, lust, and bitterness. As a bonus, when you request my book today, I'll be sure to include a deck of 10 encouragement cards as well. Each card addresses a special roadblock you may be facing with a written promise from God's Word to help you overcome that obstacle. I'm going to say more about requesting my book later in the program, so be ready to jot down our contact information. But right now, I'd like to address one of the most common barriers that we face in life. From the Invincible Teaching Series, I've titled today's message, Moving from Doubt to Faith. Now, the truth is, whether we're willing to admit it or not, all of us have doubts from time to time. Doubts about life, doubts about God, doubts about the promises of God's Word. If it makes you feel better, so have some of God's choicest servants in the Bible. They had to deal with doubt. Uh, Moses doubted that he was capable of delivering the Israelites from uh, Pharaoh. Uh, David doubted that he was going to be able to escape from King Saul. Maybe you're facing doubts right now. I'm speaking to some of you who are listening to this message, or you're here in our worship center. You're a college student. You grew up in a Christian home. But when you went to the university, you began hearing things that made you question, have doubts about your faith. Some of you are Christian parents. You've done the best you can with your children, but they have wandered away from the faith. You have doubts about whether or not God can truly bring them back. Some of you, especially over these last several years, maybe you've lost something important to you. It may be your livelihood. 
You may have lost a loved one during this pandemic that we've experienced. You have doubts about God. Is this how God really deals with people who say they love him? Doubt is universal. How do you handle that doubt? How do you conquer that kind of doubt? We're going to talk about three practical ways to handle your doubts. But before we do that, we're going to look at a case study in doubt from the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. We're going to look at the champion doubter of all time. Do you know who he is? His name is Thomas. He was one of the apostles. We don't talk a lot about Thomas, perhaps because of all of the doubts he had. But I like Thomas. I really do, because Thomas was the kind of guy that would ask the question that everybody else was thinking privately. I mean, he, he actually said what everybody else was thinking in a room, and God honored that. He honored his sincere questioning. And turn to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at three areas of doubt that Thomas had and how they correspond to the kind of doubts we have. First of all, doubts about life itself. Doubts about life itself. I'm talking about doubts about what's happening to you and whether God is capable of leading you through the challenge of this life. A couple of weeks ago, we had happened to us what many of you experienced during that snow and ice debacle that we went through. And at our house, we lost power for three days. And um, I uh, remember that Monday night, there was no heat. There were no lights. Amy and I were bundled up like Eskimos in our house. And it just dawned on me that the way our neighborhood was situated, uh, we couldn't get out of our house if we wanted to. And nobody could come and rescue us if there was a problem. And we were seated at the kitchen table, completely dark in the house, had one electric candle between us. And I was looking at Amy through the candlelight. She was looking at me. And I said, honestly, I said, Amy, do you think we're going to survive this? I really wondered if we were going to survive this or not. And she thought for a moment, wiped the icicle off of her chin she said, I think so. It wasn't a great resounding, assuring the statement of faith, but it's all she could muster at the moment. I think so. I think so. And we did survive, but there was a legitimate existential question. Are we going to survive this? Thomas had that same question in John chapter 11. Let me show you what I mean. You know, this is about the resurrection of Lazarus. That's what we remember John chapter 11 for. But uh, the events leading up to the resurrection of Lazarus were quite interesting. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends, along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And when um, Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick, the disciples thought, well, we'll go to healing. Uh, but Jesus had a different idea. He waited a little bit longer so he could wait until Lazarus had died and he could perform that great resurrection. But it's interesting that when uh, Jesus finally said, let's go, in verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there to get again? They were going to go to Bethany, just two miles away from Jerusalem. They said, aren't you forgetting what 
the leaders tried to do, they just tried to kill you. Are you going to go back and risk your life? And what they weren't saying is, are you going to go back and risk our life as well? Why are you doing that? Thomas was one of those disciples. And yet I love his reply in verse 16. Finally, therefore, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we might die with him. Thomas had a serious question about whether this was a wise thing to do, but notice how he expressed his faith. We're going to go, even if it means dying with you. Sometimes we have doubts about life. Some of our doubts are about the future, about eternity. The next time we see John in the gospel of John, it's in John chapter 14. The disciples were with Jesus in the upper room the night before he was crucified. Jesus was explaining about the sacrifice he was about to make for them. But he gave them these words of assurance in John 14, 1. This was all in the upper room. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas, one of the apostles, raised his hand and said, Jesus, hey, Jesus, we don't have a clue where you're going. How in the world do you expect us to know the way to where you're going? That's what he said in verse 5. And Jesus responded to him, verse 6, and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Think about it. Without Thomas's doubt, we never would have gotten that tremendous answer. (laughs) That reminds us there is something on the other side of the grave. That place called heaven. It's all natural for us to doubt that. Again, we've never seen it before. We're stuck in this life. It's natural to question about eternity, but Jesus says there is a heaven and he showed us the way to get there through faith in his death for our sins. Thirdly, Thomas illustrates doubts about God himself. Doubts about God. And this is the foundational doubt we have to wrestle with. Is Jesus really who he said he was? Remember, after the crucifixion that next day on Friday, what did the disciples do? They holed up in a secret hiding place, cowering in fear that they too would be arrested and crucified like Jesus had been. And then on that Sunday evening after the resurrection, Jesus miraculously appeared in front of those disciples. He said, I'm here. See the scars in my hands. Look at the scars in my side and my feet. They were astonished at what they saw. But then John sounds this ominous note in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Where was he? He had allowed his disbelief, his disenchantment with Jesus to cause him to separate from the disciples. When the disciples saw Jesus crucified, their dreams evaporated. They said, he's just another man. But Thomas allowed his doubts to become 
disbelief and he separated himself from the rest of the apostles. And so verse 25 says that apparently they went out and found Thomas and they said to him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands, the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, here's a principle I want you to write down. Distance from others is dangerous for doubters. Distance from others is dangerous for doubters. Lone rangers are easily ambushed. Thomas made a key mistake here. By separating from the other believers, going out by himself, his doubt was turning into unbelief. Questions, if we're not careful, can become seeds of doubt, and seeds of doubt can grow into unbelief. And unbelief is like a mushroom. It grows best in the darkness. Now listen to me. When you have times of doubt in your life about your Christian faith, Satan will do everything he can to convince you you need to separate from the church. You need to separate from other Christians. You need to work things out on your own before you come back and believe no. If you do that, you become spiritual roadkill. No, there is strength in numbers. Don't make the mistake of distancing yourself from others when you doubt. So they found Thomas. They said, come back with us. We've seen the Lord. And apparently Thomas went back and they stayed in that room for another eight days. But eight days later, verse 26 said, Jesus appeared again in their midst. He said, peace be with you. And then turning to Thomas, he stretched out his hands and said, put your finger here. Then he said, reach out your hand and put it into my side. The Lord said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my God and my Lord. Isn't it interesting? Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said. Unless I put my finger in that scar, I won't believe. That leads to a second principle. Dependable evidence is distributed to doubters. Dependable evidence is given. It's distributed to doubters. Jesus didn't scorn Thomas because he wanted evidence. He didn't chastise him. He gave him what he was looking for. That's how God deals with people who honestly doubt. People who are seeking sincere answers. People who are looking for reasons to believe, not to disbelieve. If you're a doubter today, God will do the same for you. Now, the evidence God provides isn't always a supernatural appearance like he made to Thomas. Sometimes God will direct you to the evidence that is already there. I think about the story of Lee Strobel, a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative newspaper journalist. His wife was a Christian. His children were Christians, but he wasn't a believer. And what he uh, tripped over was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he honestly looked for the historical evidence to verify the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he found that evidence, in fact, did exist. He became a strong believer and wrote those best-selling books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. 
But the point is, when God sees a heart that wants to know him, he'll provide the evidence that person needs. Dependable evidence is distributed to doubters. And then notice what happened. Jesus said, verse 29, because you have seen me, have you now believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Jesus said to Thomas, I'm glad you believed. You've believed. But there's an extra blessing for those who haven't yet seen me, but believe anyway. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He was looking down the corridors of history and saying, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. How do you move from doubt to faith? How can you make sure that one day you hear similar words, well done, good and faithful servant? Let me share with you three practical principles for moving from doubt to faith. Number one, don't deny your doubts. Acknowledge them. Don't deny your doubts. Acknowledge them. The reason we're fearful of acknowledging our doubts is we've got this secret fear that our doubts are bigger than God's answers. We think our questions are too great for God's answers. Don't worry about that. God is big enough to handle your questions. Philosophies, they come and go. In the early part of the 19th century, the German philosopher Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, said, God is dead. That was revolutionary. God is dead. Today, God says, Nietzsche is dead. (laughs) I mean, philosophies come and go. But God's word stands forever. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I remember talking to a Christian. She was crying. She had all kind of doubts. She said, I'm not even sure I believe in God anymore. I said, that's okay. That's okay. Because even when you don't believe in God, he still believes in you. Don't worry about denying your doubts. Go ahead and acknowledge them. Your questions are no match for God's answers. Secondly, don't dread your doubts. Analyze them. Again, we dread doubts because we fear that our doubts will destroy our faith. No, go ahead and analyze them. Why why are you doubting? Is it something you read? Some question you have about the faith? Is it because of an unanswered prayer or a suffering you're experiencing? Is it because of perhaps disobedience in your life? Analyze your doubts. Thirdly, don't disguise your doubts. Articulate them. Don't disguise your doubts. Articulate them. Thomas was willing to verbalize exactly why he was doubting and what he needed. You need to do that too. Remember, doubt grows in the darkness. Doubt grows in the darkness. You know, I read somewhere that every Christian needs to have three people in his life, a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. In other words, we need a Paul, somebody who can mentor us, a mature Christian that we can look to for guidance. We all need a Timothy, somebody to disciple, somebody whose life we are pouring into. But we all thirdly need 
of Barnabas. Remember, he was the son of encouragement in Acts 5 who was always encouraging people. Now, the key is when you go through a time of doubt, you've got to know which one to go to. Don't go to somebody you're trying to disciple, somebody who's younger in the faith than you are. You're going to destroy them if you do that. But there needs to be a mature Christian you can go to. And you'll find that when you voice your doubt to them, they'll say, you know what? I've been through the same thing or I've had the same question and here's how I resolved it in my life. Make sure you have somebody you can go to. And remember, above all people, go to God with your questions. I came across the simple formula for dealing with doubt that came from Mark Littleton. He said, turn your doubts into questions. Then turn your questions into prayers and turn your prayers to God. That's the way for dealing with doubts. Don't disguise your doubts, articulate them. And when we turn our doubts into prayers and turn them to God, he will encourage you just like he did Thomas by saying, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Apparently, Thomas held on to those words for the rest of his life. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. How do I know that? Well, church tradition tells us that after the resurrection, Thomas went to India where he started churches there. He then went to China where he started the Christian church in Peking. He came back to India and nurtured those new believers in Christ. One day when he was an old man, he was in a cave praying to God and a group of Hindu priests attacked him. Fearful that Christianity was going to overshadow Hinduism. And one of those Hindu priests uh, thrust a spear into the side of Thomas, thinking they had killed him. But they hadn't. When they left, Thomas was able to crawl to a nearby church chapel. He wrapped his arms around the base of a stone cross. He looked up at that cross and said, Thank you, God, for your mercies in my life. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. Those are not the words of a doubter. There are words of somebody who finally conquered the mountain of doubt. And they can be your final words as well. If you learn the secret of moving from doubt to faith. As you heard today's message on Pathway to Victory, maybe you've been thinking about a son or daughter who is struggling with doubt. It could be a grandchild. Perhaps it's a friend who's going through a tough situation, and rather than depend on God, they've begun to question His goodness. These are mountains that stand in our way, and I'm going to recommend that you get a copy of my book on this topic. It's called Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. A hardbound copy of my book, Invincible, is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Whatever amount you're able to send beyond the actual cost of the book will be directly applied to reaching more people with this message of hope. So, ask for a copy of Invincible when you give a generous gift. And along with my book, I'll include a brand new video DVD 
and audio CD for a message I recently preached to our nation's most influential Christian broadcasters. My message addresses the timely topic of when persecution comes. I believe the same persecution our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are facing is coming to the shores of America. In fact, it's already here, and we need to be prepared for it. So let us send this special message to you today. Let me thank our generous Pathway partners and all those who give to Pathway to Victory. We are pushing back the forces of evil in our culture as one of the fastest-growing media ministries in the world. And it's because people like you are giving generously to Pathway to Victory. Please keep up the good work. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. It's the best-selling book by Dr. Robert Jeffress. And along with the book, we'll send you the brand new CD and DVD message called When Persecution Comes. The same persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are experiencing right now is coming to the shores of America. In fact, many believe it's already here. This timely message by Dr. Jeffress will help you prepare for the coming persecution of Christians here in America. Call us at 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Invincible Teaching, as well as the personal and group study guidebook. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like. Here's the address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Over and over again in Scripture, we're told not to worry. Yet, it seems that Christians worry just as much as their non-Christian counterparts. Discover how to move from anxiety to peace. Wednesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.